getting that for first, I want us to do this. We're going to go old school on this. It's homecoming Sunday. So when they get to the chorus, they're going to drop the instruments. We're going to lift our voices alone on that chorus. Let's sing the four first in the chorus a cappella. Revive us again. going to pray in just a moment. Before we pray, uh, Brother Royce is going to come. I'm going to go ahead and introduce you and your wife. Uh, that way, when we get to preaching time, you can just you know, get up here and, and get to going on the preaching. But uh, we first talked to one another. I called you a couple of months back, I guess maybe it was. And uh, the Lord laid him upon my heart and we did not know each other. But he is a native of Rocky Mount, which is not too far from where I grew up. And I was telling them uh, that uh, when I was growing up, we wanted to get to the big city. We wanted to go to the big town and go to the big mall and all. That's where we would go, about 35, 40 minutes from where I grew up. Uh, but Brother Royce is here, Royce Williams. He's a full-time evangelist, also is uh, the evangelist on staff at Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount. He and his wife, Wanda, are here. I got the chance to meet her uh, last night. We're delighted to have you all. Uh, they have been here before, and I did not know that when I invited Brother Royce. Uh, I contacted him, I think maybe first by email to say, do you have this date open? And he said, I'd love to come again. I thought, well, that's kind of strange because I don't <laughs> Maybe he's confused. Uh, but <laughs> didn't know. Uh, and then he said, no, I've been there before. And I said, oh, I didn't know. And so I honestly told him, I said, well, I'm going to go and mention to the deacons, we're going to have you come. And I said, if, if they don't want you back, I'll let you know. Right. Remember I told you that. <laughs> They didn't say no, so anyway, we, we invited him. We've had a good time uh, laughing together. He, they came in last night, and uh, they're going to be here. He'll be uh, speaking each evening. He'll be singing in each one of the services. And so I'm going to invite him at this time. He's going to come and sing, and then I'll come back, and we'll pray together. I said, Brother Royce, we're so glad to have you and your wife here. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Rudy. Looking forward to your time. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be at Red Hill Baptist Church again. <laughs> I think I see someone I know at the back. <laughs> you never know who you're going to see and where you're going to see them, I guess. <laughs> Are you from Red Hill? She is. She is. Good to see you guys. Cameron, thank you all for coming. Good to see you. Um, I have short-term memory. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I had to speak to him whenever I saw him because if I ever start preaching, i got a one-track mind, and so that's the way that goes. I don't know but five songs, so I know I did this when I was here before, but I'm going to do it again, all right? <laughs> Go ahead and let it roll, buddy. Bible only speaks of it one time, Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. Come on up with it, guys. Come on up. You're getting close. There you go. A place called Beulah Land, Isaiah 62, verse number 4. I'm kind of homesick 
for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes up there will be spoken.
our instrumentalist, Danielle. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. Love the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I thank you so much for the special music this morning and for uh, the special at the piano. Danielle, if I was going to play that song, I'd play it just like that. That's exactly the way I would do it. I actually play a little bit by ear. When I say a little bit by ear, I mean a little bit by ear. And I had thought about maybe sitting down at the piano this morning and playing something and singing, and I am so glad I did not. <laughs> it will be the difference of Goliath and Elmer Fudd standing side by side. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the Gospel according to Luke in chapter number 19. If you would, please, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter number 19. Uh, this, this passage of Scripture, this chapter is well known for the story of Zacchaeus. I know most of the time when you uh, say turn to Luke chapter 19, everybody thinks you're going to preach on Zacchaeus. I might mention a word or two about it, but I'm going to be moving on uh, to the, the middle part, actually, of this chapter. It's a joy to be back at Red Hill. It's been, Pastor, 11 or 12 years, right along in there somewhere. I'm so delighted to come to be here again and for my wife to be with me. It's quite unusual for her to travel with me. She runs a beauty shop in Rocky Mountain, so she has her own thing going. So, But uh, she wanted to come. We actually have another pastor friend that lives close to here, and we wanted to spend a little time with them. So we came in early yesterday afternoon and uh, had some fellowship with them. And Cameron and Wanda Curran. Boy, it's so good to see you folks. Uh, and uh, I couldn't remember your name and why. My wife's name is Wanda. Your name is Wanda. Why can't I keep up with that? Uh, amen. I've lost some of my eyesight and I've lost some of my hearing and I'm losing my sense of taste. But the thing I miss the most is my mind. So that's the way it goes. What a joy to come and have this opportunity to preach in the, in the homecoming service this morning. I know a lot of you are back home visiting, have people from Rocky Mount. Uh, they live on the other side of the railroad track. They live where the money is, on, on the other side. And uh, we're on the Edgecombe County side, right, where I was born and raised. And uh, that was a lot of years ago. But good to see Rocky Mount folks. And I was told you might bring barbecue today. I don't know whether you did or not. You did. Oh, oh my. And so I'll be searching that out. What barbecue did you bring? <laughs> well, Smith barbecue. Smithfield, Smithfield, Smith's barbecue. I'm going to learn something today. Man. Smith and Dorchester. Red and white. Now. Now I know what you're talking about. Well, I'll just, I just flounder around until I'm comfortable. You all right? You all right? It's been a long time since I've been here, and I'm trying to remember everybody's name. I'm having a hard time with that. In Luke chapter number 19... The Lord Jesus has come into town, Jericho. There's uh, Zacchaeus. You remember that story. He climbs up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. As the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. You know, there ought to be evidence that we've been saved. A lot of people say that they're saved, but there is no fruit and there is no evidence that people have been saved. 
I think that Zacchaeus as a tax collector who had been skimming money uh, from people for years and years from the Jews to give to Rome. He is skimming the top. He's pocketing that money, you know. And uh, whenever he had this conversation with Jesus, he said, come down from us, go to your house today. And he did. And they had that conversation. I'm sure Jesus prayed at the meal. Don't you think he did? And they had a long conversation. And uh, Zacchaeus is broken in his heart. And he said, Half of my worldly goods I give unto the poor. And if, and that's a big if right there, if I've taken anything from anyone in, in the wrong kind of way, I restore it unto them fourfold. Now when you start talking to a man about his money, if the Lord has changed his heart to the extent that he wants to give half of his money to the poor, and then take anything he's robbed from someone and pay it back to them fourfold, I'll tell you, that man's life's been changed. Amen? He's a changed man. And he said, this day, Jesus said, this day is salvation come to this house. And then the text uh, makes a turn in verse number 11. If you'll uh, read along with me as I read from the Word of God. Luke chapter 19, verse number 11 through verse 27. Luke nineteen eleven, And as... They heard these things. Jesus added and spoke a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. Jesus said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered unto them ten pounds And said unto them, and if you believe it, underlining in your Bible, this is a wonderful place for you to underline, or maybe mark in your bulletin. Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him. Sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom... Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant. Because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said unto him also, Be thou over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou did not sow. And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Why then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto Jesus, Lord... He hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, unto everyone who hath shall be given. And from him that hath not even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, are you listening? But those mine enemies 
who would not that I should reign over them, bring here and slay them before me. Let us pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for the eternal, inerrant, infallible Word of God. We thank you this morning that we do not have to attempt to discern what is truth and what is not truth in your Word. For it does not contain truth, but is truth from the beginning to the end. We thank you that the Lord Jesus now gives us this parable and teaches us how we are to live this life once we have been saved. I I pray that this morning if there's someone under the sound of my voice who does not know you in the pardon and the forgiveness of sin, they do not know what it means to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. They do not know what it means to have contentment in their heart because they've never met Jesus face to face. We pray that even as Zacchaeus' life was changed and turned completely around because he had met Jesus, I pray that someone here today who may be lost would leave this place today knowing Jesus personally, knowing that their sins are forgiven, knowing that they're on their way to an eternal heaven where it will be nothing but joy and bliss in the presence of you forever and ever. Oh God, I pray that you would save anyone here who's lost today. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who have known you. Some have known you for decades, for long, long periods of time. We have known you and have walked with you. And yet, Lord, if we are honest with ourselves today and honest with you especially, and even honest with one another, we would have to say, Lord, that we, we wax and we wane. We, we fall behind. We backslide. We come to the place where uh, our faith is not uh, as deep as it ought to be. And our living for you is not as fervent as it ought to be. We need revival. We need, Lord, for you to stir in our hearts and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I pray, Lord, that today, if we're not willing to be revived, I pray that many will be able to pray, Lord, Lord, make me willing. Make me, have me to change my disposition to the extent that I would want you to move in my heart and move in my life. Lord, we need you. We need your power and presence in our lives. And so we ask, God, that that you would honor the preaching of your word and the worship that we've already experienced and for the wonderful numbers uh, of of uh, special music from the choir and, and all the congregational singing. May it have now, Lord, led us to this place where our ears are open, but yes, that our heart is open as well to hear from your word and willing, Lord, to bow before you and to yield to your Holy Spirit as you speak to our heart. So help us, Lord, to be uh, faithful to hear and to take heed to your word. We don't make any pretense, Lord, that we understand everything you want to do today. We just bow before you. Ask, Lord, that you would fill our mouth and that you would fill our hearts and that you would help us to receive what you have for us. To receive it gratefully, humbly, and then help us to live it out beginning this day and going forward till you come again. For you are coming again. And we anticipate that day with great joy. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Occupy till I come. He is speaking to the church, of course, and 
I said to you that whenever we are saved, there ought to be evidence that we have been saved. A life that has been changed. The Apostle Paul said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There ought to be evidence that we have been saved. But there is this, this process of sanctification. Once we have been saved and we know that we're saved, we're in this process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. And there are some things that we are to be about until Jesus comes. Jesus tells this parable, and of course you know he's speaking of himself. There are some things that just jump right out at you and you say, you know, this is about the Lord Jesus and uh, the life and the work uh, of Jesus. For instance, it says uh, in verse number 14 of our text, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And we call to mind that text from John chapter 1 and verse 11, where the Bible says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. It's pretty obvious when you read this text that Jesus is talking about Him going away. He's been crucified. He's died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He's been buried. Raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And now, by this time, is ascended back to the Father. And He has gone away to receive a kingdom unto Himself, just like the parable. But his citizens hated him, and we have much of that today, do we not? We, Jesus had it in his day. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The parable is about Jesus and the fact that he has gone away. But I think more succinctly, he is saying to us, yes, and I'm coming back again. And when I come back again, there will be a time of judgment and a time of reward. It's speaking to the judgment seat of Christ, which is is numbered in a a lot of places in the Word of God. The judgment seat of Christ. You do understand that all of us are going to a judgment. It's not just the wicked lost that are going to be banished from God's presence forever and ever. But those of us who are saved are going to the judgment seat of Christ. It's not a judgment of our sins. Thank God our sins have already been judged. Uh, Our sins were judged 2,000 years ago on the cross. But all those texts concerning the judgment seat of Christ, it makes the point that our works are going to be scrutinized. They're going to be judged and they will either be deemed as something that was done for the glory of God or things that we have done. You know, you can do the right thing for the wrong reason. It's not going to amount to anything at the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to go up in the puff of smoke just like that. So at that judgment is a judgment of our works. And the rewards that we receive will be based on what we have done and the motive behind what we have done in this Christian life. I tell you, there ought to be evidence that we are saved and it ought to manifest itself in the way that we're living this Christian life. Because one of these days we will stand before the Lord and give an answer for the way that we've lived this life. I think about some of those passages about the judgment seat of Christ. If you still have a pen in your hand, you want to jot it down. Jot down 1 Corinthians in chapter number 3 in verses 11 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 is one of the most uh, uh, vast passages on that, uh, on that particular subject. It's mentioned again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10 where it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive in his body the things that he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The Bible speaks of it again over in Romans in chapter 14 and verse number 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Paul wrote again in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 5 that every man will have to bear his own burden. In other words, you'll answer not for what your daddy did or your granddaddy did. And By the way, you're not going to get their reward either. Not only do you not have to pay for their sin, but you'll not receive their reward. So it doesn't make much difference if your daddy is a preacher. You're going to have to live your own Christian life and use the gifts that God has given to you. And so, I mean, over and over again, even in Revelation chapter 22, I believe it is verse number 12, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Repeatedly. The the Word of God is replete with the truth that you and I, as believers, are going to stand before the Lord. Our sins have already been judged, but He is going to judge our works and we'll be rewarded accordingly. It's exactly what this passage is all about. It's about occupying till I come. That was the command that He makes. And it's the command that our Lord makes to you and to me. He has gone away and He says to the church... Take care of the business I have assigned to you till I come. I was thinking that this is the appropriate thing for a homecoming day because oftentimes we need to be reminded that there is going to be a time of judgment. There is going to be a time of reward. And when we all come together, you know, we celebrate going to heaven. And Jesus is there, by the way, preparing that place. Can you imagine what it must be like? I mean, He has created everything you and I enjoy in this world in six days. He's been gone for 2,000 years working. He says, Behold, I I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So for 2,000 years, He's been preparing this place. And we're reminded on homecoming homecoming day that we're going to Beulah Land. But we also need to be reminded that there's a life for us to live between now and then. You know, the Apostle Paul expected the imminent return of the Lord Jesus. He expected the Lord to come in his lifetime. And I presume that people in the first century did. And the second century did. And right until this day. And there there still are a few of us, amen, that believe he might come today. There's not a thing in the world on his agenda that needs to be fulfilled that has not already been fulfilled. He could come for the rapture of the church any time that he desired to do so. I want us to be ready when it comes. Let's talk about what it means to occupy till I come. You could go anywhere with this, but I've chosen about four or five statements that I believe are worthy of our consideration. Number one, to occupy till Jesus comes, number one, means that we are to be salt and light in this world. Now, I know that's a kind of a blanket statement. Of course, it comes from Matthew chapter number 5. The greatest preacher that ever preached, his name was Jesus Christ. There he was uh, on the mount and preaching. And he said to that congregation that day, as I reiterate to you this morning, you are the light of the world. <laughs> now... He had said it several different ways in John 8 and 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Psalm 119 says, the entrance of thy word giveth light. I remember Dr. Vance Haberman saying this. We were talking about him this morning or last night or sometime another. And he said, uh, in those three statements... Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. Number one, the light shines in the Savior. You are the light of the world. Number two, the light shines in the saints. 
and the entrance of thy word giveth light. The word brings forth light. The entrance of thy word giveth light. The light shines in the Savior, the light shines in the saints, and the light shines in the scriptures. We ought to let our little light shine. As a matter of fact, we need to make that little light brighter all the while. If you've been saved for 50 years and your light is not shining any brighter today than it was the first year that you were saved, you're way behind on your process of sanctification. We are to be becoming more and more like Jesus all the while. To shine the light. You understand we don't have any light. Jesus is the light. The only reason that I can be the light of the world is to reflect the light of who He is. Not who He was, by the way. Who He is. And, uh, and so, we love like Jesus and let our little light shine. We forgive like Jesus and we let our little light shine. We work in the church like Jesus and we let our little light shine. To occupy until He comes. He wants us to be in His church and to be faithful in and through the local body of believers. No man is an island. No man lives unto himself and no man dies unto himself. We need each other. And the light of this church should shine because the little lights of this church are shining. To occupy that Jesus comes means that we live like Jesus, that we let our light shine. Like the Apostle Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, for in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live. By faith, we let our little light shine. And uh, we ought to be salt and light in the world. Salt has a lot of properties, doesn't it? It has a lot of usefulness about it. Salt uh, preserves. Most of the young people who are in here today don't know anything about, most likely about, maybe, I I don't know, I'm in the country. They might know. (laughs) You might not know anything about killing hogs. When I, when I was raised on the farm in Rocky Mount, we, we killed hogs. And you had to do it when it was cold. You hear people say it's cold enough to kill hogs. That's what they're talking about, you know. And so that the meat doesn't spoil, you know. And, and uh, I didn't do a lot of it because I was just a little bitty fellow in those days, you know. But I was watching my uncles in particular on my mother's side when we would have hog killing, how they would butcher that thing up, you know. And then they would start salting down that meat. Why? Because there was no refrigerator to put it in. And there was no such thing as a freezer. And so you salted that meat down to preserve that meat. And I remember them, uh, they would dip it in this brine. Put it in a barrel and a brine. And, and a salt water brine. And then they would, after it had been in there a while, they'd take it after that salt had worked its way to the bone. And, and then they would sprinkle all that salt and the pepper on the outside of that thing. And then tie it up and hang it in the smokehouse. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> People 50 and overdue, and then others, they're just guessing, where did he come from and what is he talking about? (laughs) Salt preserves. Do you understand this morning that the church in America is all that's preserving us as a nation? One of these days when the Lord comes, He's going to rapture His people out. When He raptures His people out, listen, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you and me. 
And that is the only saving agent we have in this nation. The Holy Spirit and in the work and the life of people who are letting their light shine and people who are being salty, who are adding taste and preservation to the society in which we live. If you think as a Christian, as a child of God, you can just float along and not care about people and not make a difference in their life and then one day God is going to stand before you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've got another thing coming. He has said to you and to me, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Let your little light shine and get a little salty. Make a difference where you are. A lot of little things you could say about that, but I've got 16 other points. Some, somebody called the ambulance. Somebody just passed out on the back row. <laughs> Salt and light. To occupy till Jesus comes means that we are salt and light in the world which He has placed us. Second of all, to occupy till Jesus comes means that we are to be sowers of the gospel seed. You do realize that God only has one plan to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We are to be sowers of the gospel seed. It's never said any more plainly than it is in Psalm 126. Psalm 126 in verse 6, He that goeth forth and weepeth, Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheep with him. We are to be sowers of the gospel seed. Well, not only just to let our little light shine and to be salt and try to make a difference and live a life that brings glory to God, but we ought to give a word with our lips that brings the glory to Him. It's not an either-or situation. And here about 20 or 25 years ago, it was, the, it was all about lifestyle you know, witnessing, lifestyle witnessing. And, and folks, I'm telling you, you've got to have both. You've got, to have, you've got to live the life so people can see the change in your life. But you also have to speak that message with your lips. And I'm going to take it just a little bit further now. And if you disagree with me this morning, I'll be standing at the door. And you can apologize to me when you walk out. All right? If you're trying to live a good and godly life, and you don't give Jesus Christ the credit for that, you are robbing Him of His glory. Uh, many a person has tried to be in the church and do the right thing and say the right thing, you know, so that everyone sees your external and they think that you are the most wonderful Christian that has ever lived. And, and out in the community you have a good reputation and you're proud and all the rest. But let me tell you what, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you're good today, you're good by the grace of God. And only by the grace of God are you good. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If you're good today, you're good because Jesus has changed your life. Don't be robbing God of His glory and go out there and have people think that you're something what? Whatever that means. And then not give Jesus the credit for changing your life and making you the person that you are. Because He has. I am by the grace of God who I am. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We ought to agree with him this morning. I'll be sowers of the gospel seed. Going forth, not just living the life, but telling the truth with our lips. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is still the message of salvation. It's still the gospel. 
to a lot of things that we do in the church. But I'm telling you, the gospel and the propagation of the gospel has to be at the center, at the hub of all we do. If it cannot bow down before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we ought to act it from our agenda. We need to take those resources and that energy and, and use it for the glory of God instead. Anything that the church is doing does not, that does not point people to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not worthy of our time and not worthy of our energy. We ought to be sowers of the gospel seed. You remember that Jesus... Uh, sent his disciples out. You know, churches are using all kinds of programs today trying to reach lost people. If I were to tell you this morning that Jesus had a method that he used, would you be interested in it? I mean, that would pretty well validate it, don't you think? I mean, if Jesus used this method, the Bible says that he sent the twelve out two by two. I know, I know what day we're living in. Brother Royce, you can't do that anymore. He says who? We want the glory days of the 50s and the 60s that we enjoyed in our churches with all the excitement and all the people being saved. But a lot of times we don't want to do the things that people were doing in those days in order to see people saved and engaged in the life of the church. Jesus sent them out two by two. He sent them out two by two, door to door, face to face, to talk with people about their lost condition, their need of a Savior, and the fact that there's only one, and His name is Jesus. You say, well, maybe that's a fluke, Brother Royce. He, he sent the twelve out. Of course he sent the twelve out. They were his. Well, after he sent the twelve out two by two, he sent the seventy out two by two. Same methodology. Two by two, door to door, face to face, talk with people about their lost condition, their need of a Savior, and the fact that there's only one, and his name is Jesus. No, I'm not losing my mind. I'm repeating what I just said. We ought to be sowers of the gospel seed. I mean, I, I hope what I'm about to tell you shocks you to your core. It came out in the latest statistics from, the, from not, not the Gallup poll, but George Barna. <laughs> well, I got the G's mixed up there. But George Barna, George Barna, who, who does all the church surveys. Are you listening? That 97.6... 97.6 of people who say they are born again and on their way to heaven will never share their faith their entire Christian life. 97.6. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. You see, we can be organized to the hilt. But if we don't do what Jesus said, we're going to stand before Him all these days. We're going to answer for Him to all this time He has given us. All the resources that He has given us. All of the means to get the gospel out there that He has given us. We've never lived, we've never lived on a day better than this day to get the gospel out. We have more means by way of internet and radio and television and, and I mean just all kinds of means. We're going to stand before the Lord. The parable is all about Jesus going away, but He's coming back. He has invested all of this into us and He's expecting us to use the gift that He has given us. And when He comes back, there's going to be a time of judgment and a time of reward and sadly a time of loss of reward. What could have been ours, but we've lost because we did not obey 
the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, to occupy till Jesus comes, we are salt and light. We are sores of the gospel seed. And number three, we are to be a mission-minded people. I'm in churches, you know, all the while. I'm these days preaching about 25 revivals a year. Used to be more than that, but fewer churches are having revivals any more than they used to have. Sad to say, but that's... We're down from the number of Cosby, the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists. When I joined it in 1995, we had about a thousand full-time evangelists. Would you like to guess how many we have today? 146. 146. There are no call for revivals. They can't make a living. And so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in different churches, you know, uh, you know, about 25, maybe churches a year, 30 churches a year, something like that. And, and I'm telling you, the churches that I go into, a lot of times it seems like we have just lost our sense of mission. We have lost the, the whole focus of why we're here. We think we're here just to enjoy this life and all the rest. God has called you and called me to be His witnesses. Go and be a fisher of men, Jesus told his disciples. We ought to be a mission-minded people. But oftentimes churches are so consumed with who they are and, and their church and what we are doing that we lose the focus that the Lord would have us to have on a lost and dying world. Hey, folks, and it's not just way out there somewhere. It's in this county. A lot of them are washing the cars and waxing their boats and, and they're on the lake and they're on the golf course. And some of them we know, we know them personally. We have to have a concern for something other than ourselves and who we are and what we're doing right here. We have been commanded to go. Now, I've already quoted one of those to you, but let me remind you, it's in the Bible more than one time. Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. But it's also in Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16. And he tells us to go and to preach the gospel to every creature on the face of the earth. In Luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 48, we want to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Jesus said to you and me in John chapter 20 and verses 20 and 21, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. In other words, God the Father sent Jesus down here on a mission, and Jesus said, and I'm sending you out there on a mission. But listen, it is never more clearly stated than is recorded for us in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be with you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. <laughs> when I was going to seminary out in Memphis, Tennessee, I went out there for three years, and then I finished up at Southeastern one year. But when I was out there, I met a lot of these guys. This is a different denomination, but they're Bible-believing Baptists. They're called Missionary Baptists. And uh, I actually pastored a church there that was by, it was aligned with Southern Baptists and the Missionary Baptist Association. They're duly aligned. That's the phrase I was looking for. They're duly aligned. And so one of those guys called me and they said, will you come back and preach revival or move back to North Carolina? And so we come preach revival for me. I'd love to. Pick me up at the airport in Memphis and we're going to drive across the Mississippi River over in Arkansas where his church was. And we're riding along, Pastor. And he looked over at me and he said, now you do remember that we are a missionary Baptist church. To which I replied, there is no other kind. Let me tell you what, if a Baptist church is not missionary, it's not a Baptist church, it's something else. I don't know what you're going to call it. 
But a Baptist church is a mission-minded. We care about people where we are in our Jerusalem, but also in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. And a big part of what Jesus said when He said, Occupy till I come, it means to be a mission-minded people where we reach out with the gospel beginning where we are, but don't wait until you finish you know, doing what you're going to do where you are to move on. I mean, all simultaneously, a church is to be engaged and be involved. Thank God for our cooperative program and the opportunity to give to, you know, 5,000 missionaries in North America and about 4,000 or so uh, in 150 countries around the world. I thank God that I was saved in a Southern Baptist church and, and, and I'm a member of a Southern Baptist church and we have this opportunity to give. But folks, mission is not just about giving. Mission is also about praying. Missions is also about missionaries being called out of our churches. Missionary is also about going if God taps your heart. You can go for a week. You can go for a month. You can sign up and go for two years. Or if God calls you to be a career missionary, you could go and stay in Zimbabwe until the day that you die. I'm telling you, Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches are mission-minded churches. I believe it's a large part of what we ought to be about. Let me ask you, what are you doing about that? What are you doing about being missional? What are you doing about being mission-minded? Does it even cross your mind? Because I'm telling you, we're going to stand before the Lord one of these days and give an answer. Now, I, I'm going to say this, and then some of you will really be glad. Lastly, that's the word some of you have been waiting for. Someone was talking to me about chocolate cake a while ago. I told them this message is not going to be as long as it was going to be, because I get to think about chocolate cake, I can get done pretty fast, you know. Especially if it's a seven-layer chocolate cake. To occupy till Jesus comes. It means that we are salt and light in this world. It means that, we, how are you doing on that? We are to be sowers of the gospel seed. Are you trying to just to live the life and say, well, that's going to be enough when I stand before the Lord. We are to bear that precious seed. Sowing that seed to be one who occupies till Jesus comes means that we are mission-minded people. And finally, we are people that are mindful of His return. And the judgment. That parable is all about this king who goes away to receive a kingdom unto himself. And, you know, and it serves all those who left behind. We don't want this man to reign over us. <laughs> but he's coming again. He's given the one ten pounds. One, uh, you know, a one pound, gave them all one pound. One had, uh, had come up with ten pounds after he sowed that to seed. By the way, that seed is the gospel. That's what it stands for. What have you done with the gospel? What have you done with uh, the life that God has given you, with the talents, with the gifts that God has given you? Have you used it to propagate the gospel? We're mindful of His return. Can you think of anything that motivates us more to live for the Lord Jesus than to know He is coming again and that there is going to be a judgment? For we shall all stand at the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive in his body the things that he has done. Whether it be good or whether it be evil. Some of the things that we've done and we really didn't do for God's glory. It's going to be counted as wood, hay, and stubble and thrown over here in this pile. 1 Corinthians three eleven and following. But the things that we do for the Lord with the right motive, with a good heart, and do it for his glory... 
We'll be rewarded with gold and silver and precious stone. You say, Brother Royce, that's just symbolic. I believe you're right. And have you ever seen a symbol in this world that measured up to the real thing? You be faithful and serve the Lord. Because I'm telling you, we're going home. We're going to meet Him one of these days at the judgment seat of Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we're grateful this morning for the time that You give us together around Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the reminder that we can't just float along in this life. That there's going to be a day of judgment. And there's going to be a day of reward. So I'm praying, first of all, now, Lord, for the Christians that are here. Uh, No doubt it's the majority, the vast majority of people who are here today. But I pray you would help us right now, Lord, to do an examination of our life. Help us to see, Lord, how we measure up. Are we salt and light in this world? Are we really trying to make a difference, spiritually speaking? Are we faithful to sow the gospel seed when we have that opportunity? It's clear to us, Lord, when you open that door. We understand when you open that door. Are we faithful to walk through it? Are we obedient? Collectively, corporately, as a body of believers, is our mind on reaching a world. Maybe someone needs to come today and say, Lord, just expand my vision of what you want to do in this world. Because, Lord, you are coming again. And we want to be ready when you come. We we don't want to be disappointed. We don't want you to be disappointed in us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. To carry forth the torch of the gospel. Even unto death, to the day you take us home. And then, Lord, we pray for someone here today who really, they can't experience revival. They've never been saved. But today, you've spoken to their heart. You have reminded them that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that Jesus died on that cross according to the Scriptures and was buried and was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Help them to believe this morning that when Jesus died, He died for them. And this morning, He's saying to them, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Help lost people to come today and accept the forgiveness of sin and the gift of everlasting life as Jesus holds His arms wide open to them today. Others have decisions they need to make, perhaps about church membership, perhaps about baptism, whatever it is, Lord, that you're dealing with people about. Whether I've said anything about it this morning or not, if you have spoken to them about it, I pray that we would be faithful to respond, Lord. You'll be pleased with us. May we be able to say, Lord, when we walk out of these double doors, I've heard from the Lord this morning. And I have obeyed Him to the best of my ability. It's our prayer and we make it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is number 312, Softly and Tenderly. Jesus is calling. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing. And to respond, the altar's open, the pastor's here. Let's stand while we sing number 312. Softly and tenderly. Would you come?